0: Everybody, our reading today is from Acts 11. You can open up your Bibles. All right. Now the apostles and the brothers who were throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles also had received the word of God. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcision party criticized him, saying, You went to uncircumcised men and ate with them. But Peter began and explained it to them in order. I was in the city of Joppa praying, and in a trance I saw a vision, something like a great sheet descending, being let down from heaven by its four corners, and it came down to me. Looking at it closely, I observed animals and beasts of prey and reptiles and birds of the air. And I heard a voice saying to me, rise, Peter, kill and eat. But I said, by no means, Lord, for nothing common or unclean has ever entered my mouth. But the voice answered a second time from heaven, What God has made clean, do not call common. This happened three times, and all was drawn up again into heaven. And behold, at that very moment, three men arrived at the house in which we were, sent to me from Caesarea. And the Spirit told me to go with them, making no distinction. These six brothers also accompanied me, and we entered the man's house. And he told us how he had seen the angel stand in his house and say, Send the Joppa and bring Simon, who is called Peter. He will declare to you a message by which you will be saved, you and all your household. As I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell on them, just as on us at the beginning. And I remember the word of the Lord, how he said, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. If then God gave the same gift to them as he gave to us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could stand in God's way? When they heard these things, they fell silent, and they glorified God, saying, Then to the Gentiles also God has granted repentance that leads to life. If you haven't already, let me
1: invite you to take your Bibles and open them to the passage our friend Alec just read, Acts chapter 11, verses 1 through 18. If you don't own a Bible, we've got some Bibles here in the room off to my left. We call this the cafe room. And we've got gospel transformation Bibles, which helps. It's like a study Bible that helps you see how the whole Bible is a story about Jesus and that, we, that Christ is the center of Scripture. So, love to, take, love to take one. I would love for you to take one <laughs> and take it as our gift to you if you don't own a copy of God's Word. <clears throat> Acts chapter 11, verses 1 through 18. As we're preparing, And uh, as I'm preparing my notes here, I I had a question I want you guys to think about. And that is, how how do you typically respond to criticism? Great, yes, that's the right answer. (laughs) When a loved one, a coworker, a friend, teacher critiques you, what is your typical response? Here's typically how I don't see people respond. Wow. How astute. You couldn't be more accurate. I haven't seen that before. Thank you for sharing that with me. (laughs) Typically don't see that. Typically in counseling, I haven't talked with a man or woman who has shared, you know, I had a lot of traumatic experiences growing up. My dad was so affirming. I haven't done marriage counseling where the spouse said, you know the real problem in our marriage? They praise me too much. I just wish that they would identify some of my flaws. I just wish that they would critique me more. I'm dying inside. I just wish that they would express disapproving emotions of my behavior and my actions. I haven't seen that before in counseling. Typically, it's, it's like my spouse criticized me too much. Right? To fix this person. That's typically the best way to go into marriage counseling, by the way, <laughs> is it's all the other person's fault. I hope you guys know I'm being totally sarcastic. <laughs> there's, a, there's, a real, there's a book I, I, I love that I've used with premarital counseling by Tim Keller called The Meaning of Marriage. And he has this little line in there that has stuck out with me or stood with me. And it's something I, I like to remind myself of because I need to remind myself of so much. If two people come into a relationship thinking my self-centeredness is the biggest problem in this relationship, you have a good place to start. <laughs> but if you come into a, a situation where it's like, fix him, right, typically doesn't go very well. Anyways, yeah, how do you guys respond to criticism? Typically, I think there's two responses. One, shut down, withdraw, stonewall, avoid. Right? That's one response. Another response, defend, critique back. Oh, oh well, you want to know about you, right? It's like we take that as a license to attack them. And uh, when my wife and I first got married, we found ourselves on two polar opposite ends of the spectrum. So I responded to conflict as if that's horrible. I don't want anything to do with that. And I think it's not really that bad, so if I'll just tuck it, it'll go away. Like, it'll kind of just work itself out. The bubbles will kind of, you know, you guys know what I'm talking about? Mm-hmm. And Stephanie responded to conflict in a very different way. If we have a conflict, I want to talk with you. And I want to talk with you now. And I want it to be, you know, con- not confrontational, but I want to confront it. So <laughs> you can imagine what the early years of our marriage was like in this kind of uh, operation cycle. I hated conflict, and it's been a joyful journey of growing together in health, as I'm sure it has been for many of you in friendships and in situations where you respond to criticism. Here's some, some things I've learned over the years and experience with criticism, and it ties into this passage, I think, that instead of seeking to assume, we need to seek to understand, right? Instead of being quick to speak, we should be quick to Listen. Are you guys warm in here? Is it pretty warm? Nathan, would you flip that thermostat? I'm noticing I'm getting warm. You guys warm? Yeah. The author of Acts, Luke, he, he doesn't record people coming up to Peter and saying, hey, Peter, I noticed that you ate with the Gentiles. That's not something you typically do. Could, could you help me understand why you might do that? <laughs> That's not what the text records us them doing it's they criticize them. you ate with the Gentiles you ate with the uncircumcised oftentimes what I found to be so hurtful about criticism is when critiques are not based in love they're not based in understanding they're not based in coming alongside to try to help to explore maybe a character flaw but it's it's like they are so right and you are so wrong and you have to see it their way right our story begins this morning with the apostle Peter being critiqued he's being criticized for eating with Gentiles. And then the story transitions to he explains what happened and they have a total change of events. They go from criticizing to praising. It's a cool progression in the story. I stuck, and I was struck with this progression in the text this morning. What would it look like if the goal at the end of critiques was to be praise and worship and glorifying God? What, what, what would that look like if that was our... Our hope and our goal is when we were critiqued, we would like to transition the conversation to glorifying God. That would be a pretty godly aspiration, I think, wouldn't it? We, we, we have a, a, a pledge at our church called the Peacemaker's Pledge. You can find a, a copy in the on the table here. And this is our agreement. How are we gonna respond to conflict together? Conflict destroys relationships. Conflict wrecks churches. Undealt with conflict is deadly. And... And this is what our Peacemaker's Pledge says. We believe, as people reconciled to God by the death and resurrection of Jesus, that we are to respond to conflict in a way that is remarkably different from the way the world deals with conflict. We also believe that conflict provides opportunities to glorify God, serve other people, and grow like Christ. Therefore, in response to these principles, we we, we hold to the following. We want to glorify God. We want to get the log out of our own eye, right? We want to apply the teaching of Jesus. We want to gently restore and we want to be reconciled. And the pledge ends with, by God's grace, we will apply these principles as a matter of stewardship, realizing that conflict is an opportunity, not an accident. And that is how the apostle Peter responded to this, this criticism in this moment. He didn't withdraw. He didn't say, oh yeah, you, un, you circumcised party. Let me tell you all your problems. He simply says, this is what God did. And at the end of describing what God did, they glorify God. I thought that was a cool progression. And that's how our text and our story moves this morning. Criticism to explanation to glorification. So let's look at the text starting in verse 1. Now the apostles and the brothers who were throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles had also received the word of God. So this news of what happened based in last chapter, Acts chapter 10, that Peter has this vision. He goes and he meets this guy named Cornelius. It just so happens that God had been speaking to this guy Cornelius and it's confirmed. And then the Holy Spirit, as Peter is sharing the good news of Jesus with them, the Holy Spirit falls on Cornelius and those who are with him. And Peter's like, Wow, now I know God doesn't show partiality. It's like it's not the gospel and the Holy Spirit is not just for the Jews. It's also for the Gentiles. So then he's eating with them and he's, he's staying with them for some days, right? He, this is what he's starting to preach. He preaches the same gospel message. God, the, the Jews put Jesus to death by hanging him on a tree, but God raised him on the third day, made him appear to, to those who are chosen to be God's witnesses, and he commanded those witnesses to preach and testify that Jesus is appointed to be God, he is the judge of the living and the dead, and everyone who receives him, who believes in him, will receive forgiveness of sins in his name, like he's sharing this gospel message, boom, Holy Spirit comes down. Peter realizes the Jews are amazed, they realize the gift of the Holy Spirit is even poured out on the Gentiles, they're, they're baptized, and this news, this news of this event starts spreading throughout all Judea, they didn't have Twitter and Instagram and TikTok and what else is out there? Facebook, MySpace, <laughs> right? But the, the news probably didn't spread as quickly as we might have it, but it spread. And, and Peter returns to Jerusalem after he's been in Joppa and after he's been in Caesarea. He comes back to Jerusalem and the circumcision party criticizes Peter saying this, verse three, you went to uncircumcised men and ate with them. I found this response fascinating. It shows how, when we hold to our traditions, one way of looking at things, our hearts are not opened. We can get caught up in our assumptions, judgments. Our knee jerk response can be to complain and critique instead of rejoice and praise. Their response did change after Peter's explanation, right? That changes to a place of worship and praise. But for the people of Israel, the Jews, the The vision that God had given his Old Testament people was that through them, the whole world would be blessed. This is what he gave the promise that he gave to their forefather, Abraham. Through you, through your family, you will be a blessing. All the nations of the world will be blessed through you. Then he tells his people in the law, I'm going to make you guys like a kingdom of priests so that you are supposed to live and function in such a way that demonstrates who I am to the nations. It's like, I love the nations. I want to reach the nations through you, through your obedience, through your lives, through your holiness. And this is my plan that one day the nations are going to be called to worship God and fear God through the, the people of Israel. You know, and they don't respond in this moment. Goodness, Gentiles are receiving the word of God. Gentiles are believing the gospel. The time has come. The promise to Abraham is being fulfilled. Yes, whoa, what? When we get to live in this? Well, wow, what Isaiah promised that the nations would be drawn into to praise and honor and fear God and love him, it's happening. Like, we get to see it. Probably, how awesome would that be for us to start seeing see, like, something happen in the end times, right? Some sort of seal opens up and fire rains. Whoa, is happening, right? <laughs> it's supposed to be funnier, guys, right? <laughs> what would it look like? We're, we're supposed to be seeing this. This is the fulfillment of what was promised. We're praising God. Yes, God. Your plan was for the Gentiles, and now that time has come. (laughs) They criticize him that he ate with the non-Jews. That's their response. The circumcision party would have been like the conservative wing of the Jewish Christians who would have thought probably that becoming a Christian meant essentially becoming Jewish. So you had to get circumcised. You had to obey the food laws. You had to be observant with the law. And they're concerned that Peter ate with uncircumcised people and they, they, they shared table fellowship because sharing a meal with the Gentiles shows a kind of social acceptance. Contact with Gentiles would have been considered kind of unclean. So for a Jew to eat with a non-Jew in their minds was a violation of the law because Gentiles didn't follow the dietary laws so they, they're not eating kosher so you're not going to have a kosher meal. They didn't follow the, the washing ceremonial laws so they're going to be unclean so you, you shouldn't Jews should not eat with non-Jews. They're critiquing him. And just as we so often need grace and peace and explanation, just as so often we can respond first in criticism, but then God can be so patient with us and lead us to a place of understanding and praise, it's what Peter does. He responds with grace and patience and compassion. He doesn't say, you idiots. God's done with you. That's it. That's it. I'm going to go somewhere else. No, he explains. This is what God did. Peter began and explained to them in order, verse 4. Now, this will now be the third time we've heard this story in the last two chapters. It was recorded twice in chapter 10, and now it's repeated a third time here in in ancient literature, ancient writing. Repetition was a way of showing, hey, this is really important. (laughs) This is, you need to hone in. This is like bold, italics. This is like, you know, moving animation text. This is important. This is a big deal. All right? Stephanie and I recently watched through the season three of The Mandalorian and before The Mandalorian begins, there's a recap and they, they don't show everything that happened, right? But they show important scenes and events, things that might kind of foreshadow what, how things might connect to the episode that you're watching. And those were the, the important things in the show they'll put in the recap, this is what, kind of what I think Luke is doing here. This is a really big deal for Gentiles to be included in the family of God. This is a really big deal for the Holy Spirit to fall on Gentiles. And it's, it's going to prepare what's happening for the Jerusalem council in Acts chapter 15. But he repeats it three times. It's a big deal. Right? And Peter has always ate kosher. He said his whole life he's ate kosher. With Jesus, he ate kosher. And this could have been like five to, five to eight years after Jesus' resurrection and his ascension. So there's some time that's passed. This is how this is how I've operated. And Peter explains to the brothers, and he gave them an idea of, and essentially is telling them, hey guys, this is indisputable evidence of something God's trying to teach us. In other words, guys, hey, this was not my idea. This is not me. I actually objected to this. This wasn't my idea. This is what he says in verse 5: I was in the city of Joppa praying, and in a trance I saw a vision. Something like a great sheet descending. Being let down from heaven by its four corners, and it came down to me. Looking at it closely, I observed animals and beasts of prey and reptiles and birds of the air, and I heard a voice saying to me, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But I said, By no means, Lord, for nothing common or unclean has ever entered my mouth. But the voice entered a second time from heaven What God has made clean, do not call common. This happened three times. That interesting, too repeats it three times. Peter says, happens three times and it's all drawn up again into heaven. And behold, at that very moment, how many men come? (laughs) Three. Three arrived at the house in which there were sent to me from Caesarea and the spirit told me to go with them, making no distinction. These six brothers also accompanied me and we entered the man's house and he told us how he had seen an angel stand in his house and say, send to Joppa and bring Simon who is called Peter. And he will declare to you the message by which you will be saved, you and all your household. And as I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell on them, just as on us at the beginning. And I remembered the word of our Lord, how he said, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. If then God gave the same gift to us as he, excuse me, as he gave to them, as he gave to us when we believed in the Lord Jesus, who was I that I would stand in God's way? So he was remembering what Jesus told him. This is what what Luke records, the author of Acts, all the way back at the beginning, Acts 1, verses 4 and 5, Jesus tells his disciples, hey, stay. He ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So remembering his words, John the Baptist actually promised that this would happen in Matthew chapter 3, verse 11. John says this, I baptize you with water for repentance, But he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. Notice all the things that are happening in this sequence of events that Peter is saying, (laughs) it's pretty clear to me, guys, God is doing this. God told me to do this. God made it super clear that this is what he wanted. So notice there's a, a vision. He hears a voice. He says no. He hears the voice a second time. The voice says, What God has made clean, don't call common or unclean. The Spirit told him to go with them. The Holy Spirit confirmed the message when they were filled with the Holy Spirit. And all of this, he's like, I'm remembering Jesus' teaching that we're gonna be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So if Jesus told us that, the apostles, the, the Jews, and this is happening to the Gentiles, it seems like they're one of us, right? One of us, right? So you can see him kind of just processing this. Like, listen, guys, this, this is not my idea. If God gave them the same gift that he gave to us, who am I to say that I should stand in God's way? This idea didn't initiate with me. right? I questioned it. I was skeptical with it. I said, God, I've never, I've never had unclean food my whole life. This is how I lived for so many years. This is how I live with Jesus. He says it shows that this is that God now is this new era. God shows no partiality. This is God's initiative. This is a vision from God. This is a voice from God. This is confirmation from God. This is a message from God. The outworking is up to God. And he's like, Who am I that I can stand in the way of God? Yeah, come on. Who God wants to call, who God wants to reach out to, who God wants to invite into his family, who God wants to welcome home is up to God. Amen. Amen? Not me, not traditions, not the way it was. He says, Who am I that I could stand in God's way? Now, if you know anything about Peter, you know that this is this is the position that he he was very much rebuked in by Jesus. It's not a place he's unfamiliar with. In the gospel according to Matthew, we're told that that Peter has this idea that he presents to Jesus. And Jesus has possibly one of the strongest rebukes in the New Testament to one of his followers. This is is how the story goes in the gospel according to Matthew, chapter 16, starting in verse 21. It says, From some time Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things, from the elders and the chief priests and scribes, and be killed, and the third day be raised. Peter doesn't like this. And, And Matthew says, Peter took him aside, and began to rebuke him, saying, far be it from you, Lord, this shall never happen to you. And Jesus turned to Peter and he says, probably familiar with these words, get behind me, Satan. You are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. (laughs) Just try to put yourself in Peter's shoes for a second. His history, his experience. He said, listen, guys. I've stood in God's way and Jesus called me Satan. So, (laughs) I don't want to be there again. Not doing that again. Who am I to stand in God's way? The central theme in the book of Acts, the advance of the gospel is God's unstoppable plan. Can't stop it. The advance of the gospel from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria to the ends of the earth is the plan and the will of God. It will not be stopped by anyone, anything, any event, any person, any persecution. It doesn't depend on human initiative. And look at how they respond now. So they critique him, Peter explains, and this is how they respond, verse 18. When they heard these things, they fell silent. The criticism was like... And they glorified God, saying, Then to the Gentiles also God has granted repentance that leads to life. Notice notice who they say grants the repentance. Who initiated it? Who does it depend upon? God. That's what they're affirming. God. This was God's plan. God gave this vision to Peter. God orchestrated the events So they just so happened at the same time as he's speaking, here come three guys. Just so happened they both have the same vision independently and they get together like, whoa, wait, God's doing something here. And just so happens as Peter's sharing the gospel, the Holy Spirit comes down and Peter's like, wow, I wonder if that vision had had something to do with this, right? I wonder if it had something to do with what Jesus said about the Holy Spirit. Yeah. I mean, it seems like God shows no partiality. So if, if it's no longer unclean for me to eat with Gentiles, I'm gonna spend time with some Gentiles. We're gonna have table fellowship. It's God's grace that grants repentance that leads to life, right? Although we're responsible to believe, we're responsible to trust, we're responsible to repent, to turn. And what repentance means, it's the turning from the old to the new. It's a turning from what was to what God has called us to be. It's a turning away from how we used to live for ourselves to living for God, that's repentance, that kind of a heart change of, man, I used to love sin. I used to, I used to be ensnared that I only, cool, like I knew it was wrong, but I, I couldn't not sin. On, and now all of a sudden, man. I don't want to sin. Mm-hmm. Amen. And the sin is not as fun as it used to be because yeah. I feel bad after. like, what? What happened? Yeah. And I used to find this book So stinking boring. I used to find the pastor who'd get up on stage. I'd sit in the back row, and I'd just be waiting for the sermon to end. Goodness, here's this old man, just totally out of touch. And maybe you're thinking, oh, here's this young man, totally out of touch, right? (laughs) (laughs) I love you, Carrie. (laughs) And we have to, like we have to sing these songs? You know, I was like, this would be me usually. Or I'd be interested in, oh man, the piano player is playing a sweet little lick, you know? Or wow, that guitar player. Then all of a sudden now, I I wanted to be with God's people. I wanted to actually worship Him. I didn't, I mean, singing can be hard and I really don't like the sound of my voice, which is ironic, being a preacher. <laughs> but I had a heart change. Now I, I can't objectively say I did that. Can you? And the scriptures say we were dead in our sins. It's like the the way in which God works to lead us to repentance is it's it's Him who can change hearts. It's him who works in our hearts in such a way where what we used to find beautiful and glorifying, we now find Jesus more beautiful and more worthy of our affection, more worthy of our praise. It's repentance. Only God can enliven and revive and empower dead enslaved hearts and invite them to turn to him and trust him. And repentance looks like getting baptized. It's, just, it's a symbol, it's a demonstration, it's an act of what these spiritual realities, what happened in my life. I'm showing what that happened in this symbolic way of the water. Like, I'm getting dumped. The old me is just going under. And there's a new me that's getting raised. I'm raised to walk in a new kind of life. And repentance looks like living now for a different Lord and Savior. Repentance looks like bearing good works for others in love. John, the baptizer, he proclaimed this in Luke 3.8, bear fruit in keeping with repentance. It's like repentance looks like a changed life. It looks like a changed trajectory of where you're going. It looks like now, like I want to do things that were different than I did before. This is what the apostle Paul reminds the church in Ephesus. He tells them that, that they are the workmanship of Christ. They are God's demonstration of his grace that, that's not by their own effort. It's not because they did something that like they could boast in. Yeah, I, I did something great and now I'm saved. It's like salvation is by grace through faith alone. The only thing we do is believe, amen? amen? It says, you are Christ's workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. This is what God has called us to. This is what repentance looks like. God has granted them life that leads to repentance. This is what it would have looked like. They got baptized. They would have given themselves to lives that looked totally different. And this is what they say after they're silent. They glorify God and they say, God has granted repentance that leads to life. Amen. I think that's what God is calling us to do in our story this morning as well. Amen. That's right. We respond to God in this story in light of the text. We respond to God's word by I believe he wants us to glorify God from the text this morning. To be quick to give thanks and praise and not to criticize and complain. To be silent as we ponder and reflect the providence and the grace of God in our life and the grace of God that we see in our church. What he's doing. The lives that he's changed. How he's worked in the past. I think living in a, you know, it's not only very cold. What's the word? Geographically? What's the word for weather? We, climately, cold, what's the word? It's a cold climate. Right. Thank you, Stephanie. I, I want to say it's like a cold climate, not only just in like the actual physical elements, but it's kind of like a cold climate socially. So I don't know what the other word for that is, but weather, weatherously or, you know, weather, yeah. But also socially, that's the word I, I socially culturally this cold climate of the Puget Sound there's a place where relationships, communication, presence (laughs) it's not really a high value honest communication doesn't matter responding to others doesn't matter you're upset, you can respond in passive aggressiveness it's totally cool or don't you know And we're prone, I think, inside and outside of the church to feel isolated and disconnected and depressed and defeated and lonely. The social climate here can be very much anti-people, anti-relationships. Don't talk to me. Don't look at me. Don't text me. Yeah. And it can lead to a mentality, I think, in the church. I've seen this in my life and I've seen this in our church of we're kind of just living in this kind of coldness. Living in this, like, there's not a warmth, there's not a joy, there's not a, just a celebration of, I'm here, God is so good. Oh, another day of rain, you know, <laughs> can get to us. And I think in a story we, we see this beautiful promise that the, the advance of the gospel is the unstoppable work and plan of God. You can't stop it. And, and sometimes I think we could be tempted or I, I can at least be tempted to believe in this climate of Seattle that we're kind of just like, we're on this front of a spiritual dark climate and we're just kind of holding on, right? And it, sometimes it seems like Satan's winning because, oh, there goes another pastor, there goes another church, they're closing. Oh, and the, and the churches that don't really preach the gospel, those are the ones that are growing. And here we are, just kind of holding on. <laughs> Let's just get through, Right? And we can live in a, in a kind of way that doesn't reflect this kind of unshakable plan and providence of God. We live in such a way that's fearful, lacking joy, distant, scared, we're not joyful. It doesn't mean we just have to be fake and pretend, it's just like as, if we all have to be happy, but there's this tension, there's this juxtaposition in the scriptures where Paul says, we can be sorrowful, yet always rejoicing, right? There's always something that we can rejoice in in God. There's always something that we can say, yes, I look out at this climate and I just feel like lonely and disconnected and isolated and I look at my friends and I see just the depression and this, this, the, it's just like this fog that comes over, right? And then summer comes out and we're like, oh yeah, we have no more problems. But then, you know, summer ends and it's, everyone's back to, oh, life and heat, right? Can you guys relate to this? And I, 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 I was searching my heart this morning. I invite you to search your heart this morning that God would make his plan, his victory, his grace, his purposes more real to our hearts, Amen. that we are more confident, yes. more joyful, Amen. more present, more thankful, more quick to respond in praise than criticism. Amen. Come on. Search your heart this morning. Ask him mm-hmm. to reveal his grace and his work to your heart this morning that you would respond in glory and in praise and in worship. Lift up your head and see that our King Jesus is ruling and reigning on yes. the throne. Nothing's stopping him. That's right. <laughs> Nothing. He's already won. I had an image come to mind this week as I was studying and preparing for this message and uh, I think one of like the most vivid images or illustrations for like the total deflation of a person based on judgment and critique is in the Olympics. Can you guys, guys know what I mean? It's heartbreaking sometimes, honestly. Like I'm thinking about the, uh, like the gymnastic events or the figure skating where it's like, I can't even imagine the pressure of what that's like to perform and then immediately receive a grade, like a, a judge. Like, I don't know what that would be like if, you know, I, say amen after the sermon, and you guys kind of like hold up (laughs) signs like, yeah, six. It's like, oh, yeah. But then you've got the cameras and all the eyes are on this. Like, wow, the the trauma that that might create. And I remember one particular event, uh, it was like 2016, Simone Biles was just crushing it. Remember Simone Biles? And she had this like God-gifted, like springs hidden in her legs that she could just... It's like a different level. Was like there wasn't really any kind of debate or like, oh, Simone might not win the gold. It was like, who's getting second? That was kind of like how the, the, the broadcasters talked about it. <laughs> and I, I think one of the most vivid images that I, I remember watching the Olympics is, you know, like when a, a gymnast doesn't stick the landing and they fall, or like a figure skater's kind of thrown up and they're supposed to stick it, and it's just like, poof, they fall down. And you can just hear the, the crowd just kind of like all the air is lifted. And even the, some of the announcers would go, ooh, right? They, they don't really want to say something mean. I mean, some of them, right, just lay into it. I don't, but it's a lot of like, oh, it's like you could just feel, oh, I just feel so sorry for that athlete. And then they're given the scores, and it's always, their, their scores are crushed. And you can just see their whole demeanor just, poof, they know they're defeated. They don't stand a chance. And they might try to fake it and, you know, put on a fake smile, but you can, it's like you almost see the pain in their eyes. This is an image that came to mind, I think, sometimes when we talk about our own experience worshiping or being in this area or even being in this church. It's like we think that we need to pretend and muster it up in ourselves. We think that we're being judged and assessed based on our own performance. And God has not put us in the place of the judge, and God has not put us in the place of the performer. God has put us in the place of we are the fans, we are the family of the champion. We get to say Simone Biles crushed, you know the the girl from Russia or China or whoever it was. Didn't stand a chance. We say that Jesus, I'm with him. He won. And, and I'm actually being accepted and loved by the judges because of his performance. <laughs> it's like too good to be true. Just talking about it now just makes you like want to cry and sing at the same time. We are the family of the champion, the one who performed for us, who won. And we're with him. Churches, we consider the grace and providence of God in this story. And as we respond, (laughs) even so, God has granted that the Gentiles would be granted repentance that leads to life, that we would respond in praise and rejoicing. Then know and be reminded God's plan will not fail. Even here, He's not defeated so we don't have to act like we have been. Amen? Come on. Amen? Yeah. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word that is living and active. It's It discerns the heart and the intentions and the mind, do you? I pray that, that your word was honored here this morning. I pray that I... That myself and those who stand behind this music stand with the Bible would honor your word, would be true to it. Lord, if there was something I said that wasn't in line with your word, would you just help people to forget that? Lord, we do confess that so often we can be critical, unbelieving. It's easier to complain than praise. And and Lord, I confess I have my own prejudices of how I think that you can work in certain ways. Certain people are too far. It would take a lot for you to, to win them. And Lord, forgive me of my pride. I am no better than anyone else, and neither is anyone else in this church. There is no partiality. You don't look at anyone better than anyone else. And Lord, I pray that you would help this church to be the family of God, to be a place where there's neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, Scythian or barbarian. Lord, yes, no, there's no. Well, yeah. Anyways, the principle is we're all one in Christ. Help us not to respond to each other in ways which we think that we're superior. Help those who are prone to feel inferior not feel below anyone else because they maybe they don't know the bible as well or they're newer in their faith or they don't feel very close with god in this moment or you know we just make a list of things we trust that you give grace to the humble but you oppose the proud and lord thank you for the times in our life where we have been wrong we've we've made the wrong call and you so gently patiently kindly lead us to repentance Lord, pray that we would be like Peter and how he responds to the criticism here. He talks about what you've done. Pray that you'd help our church to grow in an appreciation and a delight, a joy, a confidence, an assurance of your victory on the cross and an assurance that you will come and make all things right and we get to live now waiting for the victory to be fully realized but knowing it's already happened. It happened on the cross. You disarmed the principalities, the rulers. You put them to open shame on the cross, and we stand in victory with you. We are more than conquerors. Nothing can separate us from your love. Nothing can take us from your hand. We are with you. We are yours, and you are our God, and you promise to hold us fast. Pray as we think about, as we reflect, as this gospel of grace moves deeper into our hearts, it would... Bear fruit, just buds of joy and confidence and presence and honesty would bear. Rid us of the passive aggressiveness and the coldness and the distance and the withdrawal and the help us to be a community of that not only holds to a, a doctrine, a preaching, a, a content of the gospel but that embodies a culture that's been shaped and marked by it lord i thank you for the grace in which you've done this in our church and i pray that you would continue to do it please that you might use us to be your witnesses to those in our community in our workplace in our neighborhoods that are contemplating suicide they think the marriage is over or they, they think they have no hope And would you send us? Would you help us to be sensitive to to people around us? Help us to really care for people. Thank you so much for your work in our church, and I pray now that we would respond in a joyful celebration of you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.